When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, you guys, welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast. I'm also live here on Instagram. Uh, I haven't gone live on Instagram in probably years, so I wanted to just record this podcast because I don't have a, a host, and I or I don't have a guest, I should say, and I don't have a um, person on the phone that I'm talking to. So I'm going to go live on Instagram and record this podcast. Sorry, it's been a little bit of time because... Um, my card, for whatever reason, wasn't working in my podcast machine. So it's been a couple weeks um, since I've recorded a podcast, so I do apologize about that. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about something that a lot of dog owners struggle with. Like every single time I talk to a dog owner um, or even a professional, things that they overlook really easily. Some Sometimes the most simplest things can be overlooked that can create the biggest challenges and towards the end of the podcast I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions but before I get into that I'm very excited to announce I'm finally coming to Australia which I'm so stoked about Uh, Australia is a place that uh, I always kind of like dreamed of going as a dog trainer when I was uh, first starting off in my career just seeing other dog trainers go over there was like holy crap it's such a huge achievement to have anybody in a country that far away, listen, let alone go over to, to pay to see you talk and to train dogs. So I'm going over with my friend Forrest Mickey. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, it, it's going to be a kind of a dual purpose thing. And for those of you who are on Instagram live, uh, I'm recording a podcast. I wanted to go live because I haven't gone live in a long time. So if you guys want to hang out and listen to me talk, you can. If you want to pop in and say hi, you can. If you guys want to listen to this podcast in the future, it's going to be uploaded today. Um, So we're excited to go to, um, and then maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll I'll do some live stuff here. Maybe I'll answer questions live or something, but I'm really excited about going over to Australia. We're going to be in uh, Central Coast, which is an hour outside of Sydney from, from my understanding, and we're going to be in Melbourne. I used to say Melbourne, but then everyone kind of told me that's uh, that's not that's not the way to say it. That's not the way the locals say it. So it's Melbourne. So I'm excited to come over. Uh, and again, it's gonna be my first time in Australia. Uh, Forrest, my friend, who is also a dog trainer, uh, have been he's been over there a couple different times, and it's just gonna be a vibe. We're gonna be camping out. Uh, we're gonna be doing fires. It's just gonna be a little bit more intimate than some of my other seminars because. 
um, because it's so far away. So I really want to get to know you guys and, and hang out with you guys and, and kind of see the culture over there. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to come over. As of right now, I I, I want to say Sydney or the Central Coast location might be sold out of working spots. Um, it's very close if it's not. So we have an early bird special. If you guys want to get tickets, I would get them now because it's the cheapest they will ever be. And uh, if you guys are interested in um, spots, uh, check, check them out because they might be sold out by now. I'm not sure. Um, and then Melbourne is not sold out as far as working spots go. And I know uh, in Australia, trainers do different types of seminars. So they kind of just pay everybody one price and then they will just pick the dogs they want to work with. Uh, I'm not super comfortable with doing that mainly because I've just never done it that way. Uh, and I want to be fair, as fair as I possibly can because the training that we're doing isn't theory-based and it's not um, just – uh, a coaching seminar on a couple particular dogs. What we do is we train dog owners, dogs right in front of us that are having severe problems, uh, basic problems, advanced obedience, troubleshooting on behavior, uh, behavior modification, off-leash introduction. And then the auditors will watch me and Forrest go through that process. Uh, so it is a little bit different. So when you when you do purchase a working spot ticket, you're getting uh, access to us uh, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. We're going to be rotating. And then Friday evenings, we're going to be having a meet and greet and talking about what we're doing. Um, and I know tools are some tools are illegal in Australia, and we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, tools for me are just uh, an opportunity for dog owners who aren't skilled enough to be handling their dogs at that particular time. Like we have a 120-pound borble with a 90-pound person, and they can't control their dog, so it's going to help them out. So if tools are banned, that's fine. Uh, we'll come over with a piece of string and still help everybody out. So I'm excited to come to Australia. Make sure you guys click the link below to get your tickets. Like I said, I, from my understanding, the Central Coast might be sold out of working spots. If not, it's very close. And again, we have early bird specials. I think September 10th is when all the tickets are uh, going back up. And then we're also really excited to to come over to uh, uh, the UK, uh, London area next, uh, actually this month, September 1st. So this month we're coming over in a couple weeks. Very excited to come over there. We have working spots available. Audit spots are unlimited. Uh, the link in the description will be also in the bottom. So anyway, I'm excited about that. But one thing I really wanted to talk about was uh, I was talking, I was on a, I was a guest on a podcast yesterday. And one of the things that everyone always asks me is what is the biggest problem dog owners have? And I think one big frustrating thing that dog owners have is they don't understand the natural behaviors that dogs do that you'll never be able to get out, right? You'll never be able to stop. So if your dog barks at the door because somebody's there, you're never going to be able to get your dog not to want to do that. That's always going to be ingrained in the dog's head and the dog's behavior and the dog's personality. Uh, just like, you know, a lab that wants to jump into the water to chase ducks. Uh, just like a, a dog that's, you know, uh, my, my neighbor's dog is out there barking at the mailman. She's so sweet. She's so old. Riley girl. She's not so old, honestly. She's probably got like, you know, Lola, my older dog, had a 
probably four years on her, but she's so sweet. Anyway, uh, so when your dog is out on a heel, right, your dog has four legs, uh, they're not going to naturally, well, some of them might walk right next to you. So these are these are the problems that dog owners run into every day, and they, they just, like I had a, in my members club, somebody said, how do I get my dog to stop reacting when somebody comes over? And again, like, when somebody comes to your house, for for your expectation for your dog not to care about that event is not going to happen. And the reason why I mention it is because a lot of dog owners get very frustrated with unrealistic goals. So they, they're like, my dog gets overstimulated when, you know, for, for a perfect example, like Riley out front here with the mailman, somebody pulling up in a truck with packages, your dog is never, when I say never, I mean generalized, right? Most dogs are going to care about that. They're not going to look the other way and say, yeah, I don't care if you're coming up to my property while my family's home. So dog owners just need to, to understand, because that's, that's one big problem my clients have is they have unrealistic goals. Therefore, they're never happy with their dog. And from a professional standpoint, I know it's beneficial for me to say, hey, that's an unrealistic goal. That's never going to happen. But here's an obtainable goal that you could definitely do if given you know, given the right training and, 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 um, opportunity. So again, like dogs chasing, like you have a terrier or a prey driven dog that wants to chase the cat. They want to chase the squirrel. They want to chase the chipmunk. And I'm going to go over like in sequences, what you guys can do in particular, but these things are never gonna be able to, to go away. Right. So let's just say your dog is barking at somebody coming over. This is a common thing that people have a hard time with. My dog is barking out the window. My dog is barking when guests come over. My dog is overly stimulated. And it doesn't matter what spectrum it's on for the training. It doesn't matter if they're happy and excited and jumpy and wiggle butts and knocking everything over, or they are uh, maybe aggressive, fearful, fear barking, uh, potentially dangerous. The Again, the dog's behavior when these people come over is never going to change. That's that they're not going to just look the other way, go and lay down, continue and lay down. These are things that your dog is always naturally going to pop up and get excited about. Like, hey, somebody, I'm stimulated because somebody's here, right? So, what you should be doing is instead of saying, "Hey, I want to get this out of my dog," that's not going to happen. And the reason why I'm, I'm saying this again and again and again and kind of being redundant here is because. That's what I want to stop this. You can't stop that. But what you can do is you can control your dog with obedience, with with manual operational stuff. So what you what you can do is let's say mail mailman is right in front of my house right now. So Lakota is right behind me on our guest bed here up in my office. So if somebody came and knocked on my door or rang my doorbell, she's gonna get up and bark. There's, there's, there's no, I don't have a problem with her doing that, right? Because she's a dog and that's unrealistic for me to say, Hey, don't care about somebody coming into the house that you don't know or whatever. So what you need to do is you need to have good enough control and obedience to control the situation. Lakota, leave it, go to your place and stay, right? So it's, it's breaking down all of these things with fundamental obedience. And the way that I explain obedience to dog owners at scale is very simple. It's your communication with your dog. So your com- how do you communicate with your dog, right? When when you're when you're talking to a dog, especially while you're being serious and you're trying to communicate and train, 
the dog has to understand what these things are. So the missing piece and the key that needs to be turned for a lot of dog owners is the the ability to train the dog to do what you want against their will. So it's, you know, by definition, if it's compulsion. Compulsion is basically getting a, an animal or a thing to do something that they don't want to do against their will. There's spectrums of that, of course, but it's, it's important to just understand like, hey, my dog barked at somebody coming over. We failed. We regressed. We didn't do well. That's not true. What it is, is you probably don't have enough advanced obedience to counter that. What do you want your dog to do separately? Right. So you pull up to the Disney World. It's like, hey, man, I don't want my kids to just get so excited in the car where they're screaming and yelling and they're just shaking with excitement. That's unfair. That's unrealistic. That's not going to happen. But what you can do is you can say, hey, everyone stay in the car until mom or dad comes out. You guys are going to hold our hands. We're going to pack the strollers making sure that you're holding mommy and daddy's hands before we go across, whatever. All these things are really important when you're, when you're working with, with dogs the same way. You're not going to be able to take the, the dog or the kid getting excited about Disney or the dog park or somebody coming over, but it's your job to fundamentally train with obedience how to break those things down, and that's really important. And, and a lot of people overlook that. They just want to – I don't want to say they want a quick fix – but in their head, that's what they think it is. So I don't when, – when somebody says, I want to stop this or I want to get rid of this, I don't think that they're trying to just say, hey, fix this or hey, let's turn this off. I just think they don't understand the steps to get them to the success that they need. And that's why I'm making this podcast. I'm going live on Instagram to just talk about this because I kind of thought in my head my machine was broke for um, – longer two weeks you know, I was I was away in Aspen and then uh, I tried to record two podcasts yesterday and it so now I got a new card in and we're working but what so my head was like what podcast can I put out that everyone has a problem with that I haven't really talked about too much and that's it any problem that you're having with your dog you have to understand that there's fundamental um, foundational steps that you have to take to dismantle these things and that's that's an, that's the important part so if you have a dog again, that is pulling you on the leash, you have to ask yourself, like, how much time have you spent on teaching the dog how to walk nicely on the leash? So again, that's the question dog owners ask. How do I stop my dog from pulling, right? How do I stop my dog from barking? How do I stop my dog from running away? All these things are natural things that you're never going to stop. It's the fact that you haven't put in the work to go against what your dog naturally wants to do. It's like raising kids without communication or boundaries or learning anything they're gonna when they want something right like my son goes up and grabs a shoe and just starts licking the bottom of it that's a problem that's what he thinks he needs to do but maybe he's hungry or maybe he wants to chew on something or maybe he's bored these are things that we just have to understand that it's you're not going to be able to take away the dog's primal instinct to want to go full speed on the leash or want to chase a squirrel or want to jump in the river or want to bark at somebody when they come over. You're never going to be able to get rid of that. Your job as a dog owner, and in some cases dog trainer, is to teach the dog fundamentally what we want them to do alternatively to what they're doing naturally, right? So somebody comes over, dog's excited. If you don't have, and the other thing is, is there's steps to these obedience. Um, it's complicated. There's different levels to obedience. So 
I've made it really simple over the years to talk to my community about different levels of uh, level one, level two, level three. Three is an advanced off-leash dog that will listen to you with or without tools under any circumstance, like my dog Lakota. Level one is a dog that doesn't know much. Level two is kind of in between. So you have to also understand, okay, I want my dog to, when somebody comes to the door, my dog's going to alert bark. That's okay. Some people would even like that. And then we, we need to say, okay, now what do you want to do? Okay, I don't want this person to get bombarded by this uh, dog. Rather it's, again, rather it's uh, either end of the spectrum. If they're excited and they're, they're friendly and they want to see this person, or maybe they're on the other end where they're aggressive and fearful, you need to say, okay, I want my dog to go to their place and stay. But you have to realize that that's really flirting with a level two, level three obedience steps, right? Because there's a heavy distraction, which puts you in that like higher end of level two, lower end of level three. And are you on leash or are you off leash? Because these things matter tremendously. And again, like people will also ask me, how do I get my dog to do something off leash? And if you haven't put in the proper steps and you haven't done the proper training to go off leash, you're not going to be successful very likely. So what you need to do is you need to make sure that whenever you're asking yourself about the problem you're having with your dog or you're sitting there and you're frustrated with reactivity, you're sitting there frustrated with your dog jumping on people, you're frustrated because your dog won't come back when called, your dog won't stop pulling you on the leash, your dog won't whatever whatever your problem is with your dog you have to reflect on yourself and say what can i what can i do to help my dog understand what i want them to do in this situation because they are not going to just stop caring about somebody knocking on your door they are not going to stop caring about chasing the cat or chasing the squirrel or want to jump in the river or pond you just have to go through and it's just like with people you get a you get a child that you bring up, or it doesn't matter if it's your niece, your nephew, if you're a teacher and you don't have kids yourself, you're bringing these kids up. They're going to want to do, I want to go to the park. I want to eat this. I want to drink this. I want to do this. And then you have to have the fundamental communicational skills to, to help them maneuver and navigate through this process. Nobody, we're not going to the park today because it's raining. Here's an alternative, right? You just have to have that communication skills. And that's the one thing that I find so many dog owners have a problem with is they just don't, they, they're not realistic. So they go from literally zero to a hundred and they don't understand that there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, so on and so forth, all the way up to a hundred. So if, again, if anybody's having problems with anything, I want you to kind of use that template. And I've been using it for years and it's something if you followed me, if you listened to my podcast long enough, you've heard me say several times that uh, if I were to write a book, it would be that. If you have a problem with your dog, I want you to audit and reflect on how much work you've done to get your dog to do the alternative thing or to get your dog to do the thing that you want them to do. So if your dog is off leash running away and won't come back, I see that every day. When I was in Aspen, there were people chasing their dogs around, trying to catch them because they thought their dog would listen, but because of all distractions, they didn't. And, you know, they're kind of frustrated, and I'm sure some people leash up their dog and kind of tune them up a little bit because they're pissed. But the reality is, is your dog recalling in the house for a piece of food or the treat bag rattling is by no means 
your dog understanding what recall is, especially in that context. So you just have to make sure any problems that you're having with your dog fundamentally, what have you done in your training to get you to that point? And that's what that's the carpet that gets ripped out of everybody, you know, right from underneath them. Any you guys watch my YouTube videos or if you listen to my podcast, any time that a dog owner comes in and they say, Hey, I have this super reactive dog, or uh, my dog uh, is 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 aggressive towards other people and has a bite history. The very first thing I do, like clockwork, okay, let's go up back to my training room, and I want to see what your communication looks like for your dog, because if you don't have good communication and control, you're going to have results really really fast because you're basically wanting results with no work, right? So if you can't heal from here to here. This is this is level one, right? And and this is context for what I was talking about earlier. If you can't heal from A to B, level one basic stuff, on a loose leash, I want you heal one, two, three, four, five. Five steps. If you can't heal five steps without your dog disengaging from you, pulling away from you, spinning you around in a circle, and without you shoving an Italian deli on your dog or crank and yank your dog with a prong collar or a slip leash or whatever you're using, if you can't do that, there's no way you could even touch or we can even talk about the dog reactivity problems you're having because you don't have the fundamental relationship to even walk your dog five steps. And again, like anybody out there that's hiring a dog trainer, that's having problems with their own dog, this is something to really reflect on. Ask yourself, can I even walk my dog on a loose leash without a bait bag or without a prong collar from here to here? And if you can't do that, then you have to realize that your other goals and inspirations for off-leash work or getting your dog to, to listen to you when they want to be reactive or heal next to you when there's other distractions – you're so far away from that, and that's the reason. And so everybody wants to go from one to three like that. Or oftentimes, even more than that, people start at level three. They say, hey, my dog's never trained before. I'm going to go to the park and train in a field surrounded by birds, grass, smells, other dogs, other people, chipmunks, etc. And then they fail, and they get frustrated, and they scratch their head. And... And this is, this is part of that process. I'll tell you a story. Uh, I don't know if I've told this publicly before, but I got bit by – I got nipped by a dog. And I want to tell you the conversation I had with this dog owner because she was very upset. And this kind of just goes back to my principles of what are you doing about your dog's problems because there's no dog trainer that's just going to wipe away – the behavior of your dog unless you put in the work. It just doesn't work like that. Now, a dog trainer or a skilled handler might be able to take the dog and the dog doesn't react with them, but the behavior of the dog and why they were reacting with you in the first place isn't going to go away. That just means that that person has more control over you and that dog probably trusts you more, whatever. So we had this one dog owner that um, came in and she was working with one of my trainers and my trainers, um, I, we have a really low turnover rate for our training staff, which I'm very happy and grateful for. My staff work really, really hard. They're all great, amazing people. They're all young, um, and they do a good job. 
And so my point is, is I, I trust them. I trust their abilities and skills. And one of my trainers said like, hey man, like I'm having a really hard time with this client. And she, and then, you know, it was kind of on my radar, um, not the dog, the person. And so sure enough, a couple weeks later, he's like, she doesn't want to work with me anymore. She's demanding you. She wants to work with you. Now, this was probably four years ago at my other facility when I was actually training dogs every day in my old facility. And for those of you who are maybe watching on Instagram or listening to this on the podcast, just remember my old training room with the wood walls and the couch and the blue floor and the blue gate. Um, I've always wanted to kind of go back over there and do a session just uh, just for fun. But so so she comes, she's an, she's a, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about her as a client. I just want to give you guys contact. She was an older lady. She had a German shepherd that had had a semi-bite history, not trying to kill people, but nipping people out of control. So I remember uh, my trainer had said she's really upset because we keep doing the same session each time because she won't progress. And as a trainer, you guys have to understand that if you aren't doing your homework, we're not going to push you on to the next step. It's a waste of our time. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of money. If you come in and we say, okay, step one is leash pressure and heal – and you have two weeks to practice, but then you come back on your second session and your dog doesn't understand leash pressure and your dog doesn't understand heel. What we typically do as, as trainers, um, especially in my company, is we teach people how to do that. We don't take the leash and do it ourselves because it doesn't help anybody out. And over the years, I've learned that that probably five years ago, I used to be very like, give me the most aggressive dog and watch how fast I can make it not aggressive, right? And that used to be me uh, for a long time. I was like, give me all the aggressive dogs. Let me show you what I can do. I had something to prove. Now, um, I've, I've controlled my ego. Uh, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. And now I put so much work, efforts, and, and focus in teaching dog owners how to do these things because there's absolute, well, the benefit of me or a professional taking a dog that's aggressive that wants to hurt us and then doesn't is just to puff our chest up and say like, Hey, this is what I've, this is what I can do. So I've learned over the years. I just said, this isn't, this isn't helping dog owners as much. It gives them a little bit of confidence knowing that their dog can do it, which is a great feeling. But to me, I'm, I'm, I'm not at that point in my career anymore where I'm actually doing my absolute best to not touch any dogs that I'm working with because if I can do really good work through the person that I'm actually coaching, then I'm doing a good job. And so anyway, my point is is uh, she was kind of upset and frustrated and maybe she just didn't understand how training works, but she was just like, we keep doing the same session and we keep working on heel and we keep doing this. I said, okay. So she met with me. And I walk through my front door, and when I walk through my front door of my facility, the dog lunged and pulled her through, and then he, he or she, I can't remember, nipped the back of my leg. And I felt it, and it wasn't a bad bite. It was just a nip. She just, she just didn't know what to do. So she kind of pulled the dog back, you know, yanked the dog back and was really, like, dramatic about it. And then um, we came into the gate, and I was just calm, cool, and collective because – my job isn't to tell people like 
you're being a bad dog owner and you're not doing the right job. My job is to say, hey, here's the things that you're doing right, wrong and here's the things that you need to do to be successful. So I said, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm really just frustrated because um, I've done two tra- – something – and this is – I don't know for sure. But there's like I've done two training sessions and we're not getting anywhere. We keep working on – the uh, leash pressure and heel work, and I came here because my dog is reactive and is nipping people. And I said, okay. I said, but the thing is, is if you were to work on your heel and your basic leash pressure and your ability to communicate, your dog just nipped me because you still don't have that. And she was, I think, really embarrassed by that because she's like, oh, did she get you? I'm like, yeah, she got you know, the back of my leg, it's no big deal. I said, but here's the thing is if you were to actually focus on the very basic principles of what my trainer is trying to teach you of not getting your dog to pull and yank you around through thresholds and on walks, the nipping would never happen. And I know that for a fact, because if you had your dog in a heel and a sit stay and you controlled your dog at this threshold at my facility, your dog never would have lunged forward and bit me. And so it was like I use that example all the time because um, well, it just it's a kind of a rare moment where I have to step in and, and, and do something like that, A. But B, it's so applicable to what I'm talking about here is she was just in this. And, and again, I, I'm very empathetic to her. I'm not um, saying anything negative about her. I was just explaining that this particular dog owner – just didn't understand what I'm what I've talked about here on this on this live and on this podcast today that if you had the very basic foundation that my staff have been trying to say like hey we're not going to be able to just turn off reactivity this is a uh, not a well-bred shepherd has nervy issues you've been confusing the dog since day 1 and we're trying desperately to just teach your dog basic manners and leash principles and because you can't do that and you're so focused on just getting your dog to be a service dog or a therapy dog overnight, you're forgetting the reason why your dog is biting and nipping people in the first place, which is because of the lack of control from you. And it, I think it just struck her. It was just we kind of like she just argued with me about it, to be honest. And I'm not here to talk about that at all. I'm just giving you an example of something that happened in the past. And um, I don't think she ever came back. Um but whatever. So the the point is is focusing on that process as you go. Koda, what are you doing, baby? Focusing on that process as you go. You just have to understand as a dog owner, you're not going to be able to to just turn things off. There's a reason why your dog is not coming back. There's a reason why your dog is pulling. There's a reason why your dog is barking. There's a reason why your dog is nipping. And you can't just turn things off. Now, there are Again, when I talk like this, there's generalized comments, of course, of like, well, if you have a dog that's jumping on somebody and they've never been corrected and you correct them and mark it with a nice off, they may never jump again. That's true. But I'm just saying there's there's a lot of things that dog owners get themselves very frustrated with, and it's a really easy, easy program to follow. Reflect and audit how well you've been practicing the foundation to get your dog to do the alternative task. And if you haven't done it, we can't talk or you can't you can't complain about the problems you're having. So that's a really big piece to Koda, what are you doing, baby? That's a really big piece to the puzzle for most people. And that's where, you know, people pay me lots of money and um, 
Again, like if I were to write a book, it would be that. My dog's pulling on the leash. How, how much time have you spent on heel in level one distractions? Well, next. My dog won't come back when called. Are they on leash or off leash? Well, they're off leash at the park. How much time have you spent on off-leash training in level one? How much time have you spent on on-leash training on level one with recall? Goose eggs. Next. That's what it's like for me. I, I, of course, help people through the process, and I say, okay, here's the process. But you guys listening here on, on Instagram and listening to my podcast, how many people have paid me to tell them this exact thing? And anybody out there that is, again, having problems or working with uh, a trainer, I'm telling you this very basic principle of understanding that if you have a problem and you haven't done the foundation, you may save your time a lot of you may save yourself a lot of time and money. But there are a lot of people and dog owners who understand this concept but simply just don't know how to start, which I think is where we normally would come in. Um, so anyway, um, I think that that's important, uh, for, for people to understand. Um, and so I'm going to be, uh, anyway, I just wanted to go over that. Um, there's a lot of examples I can give. There's a lot of exercises I can give, but just make sure I'm going to answer some questions on the podcast, uh, questions here. And if you guys have questions, maybe on Instagram live, if any of you guys are still here, I'll, I'll maybe, uh, answer some of that. Um, but yeah, the power of proofing Valor and kennels, I think it's, it's, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you know, I, people, it's like people, this is the way I put it to some people is they come in with, you know, like, Hey, I want to really like, I'm really frustrated because I, I didn't, I didn't make it to the Tour de France this year. For those of you who don't know, Tour de France is a bike race, uh, high-end, um, maybe some would say the highest, hardest bike race of all time. Anyway, and I'm like, okay, how long have you been riding a bike? What's your, you know, if I'm a coach? And they're like, oh, well, I haven't really ridden in a couple years. That's kind of like what I hear as a dog trainer. That's what I hear from people when they talk about their dog reactivity and they don't have a heel or they don't have communication. So again, like th these are all things that I do. Oh, my dog came in for reactivity. You know, people pay me this money to come in they go and, and it's and listen i'm not saying don't hire a trainer don't hire me it's not worth it of course it is because a lot of people still need to even if they understand this concept they still need to know how to do it and they need to know how to get it started but i'm just saying like this first basic layer that i pull off is that my dog's reactive my dog's aggressive my dog won't listen okay heal from here to here can't okay we're starting from scratch we're starting from absolutely nowhere right so anyway um, I appreciate you guys for, for watching right now. Um, I'm going to answer some questions from my podcast, um, questions here. And then if you guys are still here on Instagram live, I'll answer some of your questions as well. Um, uh, this, for those of you who are on Instagram live, I have a podcast It's called the no bad dogs podcast. You guys can check it out. Um, this first one comes from, um, Tiffy216, my favorite dog trainer, five-star review. I listen to this podcast every day on my way to work, sometimes on repeat. This is the only podcast I listen to, such great and useful information. I work at an animal shelter, and I'm learning so much every day about dogs' behavior, and I'm not 100% sure. I've been thinking about getting into dog training myself. Um, 
I doubt myself and compare myself to others in this field, and I'm not sure if I'll make it as a dog trainer. Do you have any advice for me? Or I guess what do I need to know? Uh, and did you ever doubt yourself, or did you always know you would make it as a dog trainer? It's a good question. Um, my podcast is anywhere. It's on it's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on, it's on anything that you have a podcast you can listen to it on. Anyway, um, the answer is yes. I definitely I still doubt myself every day. Um, you know, I talk about this on my podcast with other dog trainers. Uh, me and Will Atherton from Fenrir Canine in the UK talked about this in depth about imposter syndrome and what that can do and um, how it affects you and it's a real thing. Even the big, excuse me, the biggest artists in the world have this, right? Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, they're still like looking around like, am I supposed to be doing this? Is this, is, you know, people are going to hate me when they have a stadium sold out, right? It's, it happens to every single creator, I think. Um, but if you want to get into the dog training space, you can never worry about what other people think of you because one of the main reasons that, you know, and I'm really proud of the no bad dog community that I've developed and I've created. I feel like the people who listen to me, follow me, watch me, uh, come to my seminars, just understand that I'm in it. I'm in this, I'm doing all this for one thing and one thing only to help dogs and their owners. I'm not interested in being the best. I'm not interested because I'm, I'm not the best. I'm not the number one. I'm not the biggest. I'm not any of these things. And I'm not interested in that. But I think what, what ends up happening is, is there's a lot of people in every industry, not just dog training industry that want to be that. And anytime somebody starts to do something in the industry or make splash or make noise, all these people try to bring, drag them down and bring them down and throw sticks at them and throw rocks at them and make them try to quit because they don't want that competition. They don't want people to succeed. They don't want anybody to get bigger, bigger or more views or more downloads or more likes or more comments or more subscribers. It's all bullshit. You know, all of that. And so my point is by saying this is if you're worried about what other people think of you and it affects you, you're a human. That's what everyone everyone feels like that. I feel like that. LeBron James feels like that. Michael Jordan feels like that. Anybody in any industry on any level cares about what other people think of them. And it's really tough to, um, you know, navigate that if you're, if you know, and I'm a, you know, and I say this. I say this reluctantly because I don't want it to sound a certain way, but you know, I, I I have a lot of empathy, which means I care a lot about other people and I care a lot about their emotions, which is why I got into dog training, which unfortunately reverses into having a double-edged sword of I also care what people say about me negatively, and it and it really really sucks because um, you know, we get millions and millions and millions and millions of traction every month on across our platforms. And of course, 95% of it is rainbows and butterflies, but the 5% of people who are just, you know, having bad days or, um, they're just hurt people trying to hurt other people. It really does, uh, suck to see some of that stuff. But, um, if you want to just go out there, you know, and that's why I try to encourage other dog trainers and other people in, in, in other spaces to just be kind if you don't like something, don't follow that person. Don't engage with that person. If you don't agree with something, same thing. Just move on. If you want to build your own community on your own terms about your own training, your own style, your own cooking, your own running, your own whatever, then go do that and build that army and build that community. And what I'm really proud of is the community that I've built here in No Bad Dogs uh, Army that I call it. It's because you guys know what you're getting. You know I'm not going to get into anything uh, and I just would encourage other people to to have that same mentality of just protect your mental health. 
don't wake up every day and try to fight somebody on the internet about your opinions because at the end of the day it's it's all about it's all about perspective and context and you know it's a lot of subjective things there's a lot of objective things but um so you can't get tripped up over what what other people are going to think of you because if you're on the internet and you're posting publicly there's going to be people that are going to disagree with you there's going to be people that are going to make fun of you there's going to be people telling you that they don't like you there's going to be people posting videos of you and telling you that you're the worst i mean these things happen every day in every industry all across the board it's not just you it's everybody there's people out there that are insecure there's people out there that are hurting inside there's people out there that are just mean and you just have to put your head down know what you're doing is right know if you're helping people um but I really do appreciate the community that we've built and the people who understand me, you know, and, and, and everything like that. You know, they get the context. They're not taking a 60-second video and saying, like, look look at this. It's like, no, no, no. We watch this guy. We listen to this guy in podcast for three hours. We watch him on Instagram Live, all this stuff. You guys know who I am. So my suggestion to you is to just go out there, and if you want to do something, just do it, you know, just just do it. And you have to understand that the reality is, is you are going to get hate. You are going to get people. But, you know, do your best and try to help as many dogs as you possibly can. Um, and just know everybody's out here just trying to help, I think. Um, and if you're if you're the type of person that, you know, maybe follows a page that is constantly picking up the phone and just bashing other people to pull themselves up, you got to realize what that does for your mental health. Like it's not healthy to follow people like that. It's not healthy to be a part of that tribe. But if you're the same type of person and you guys all want to feed off of that negativity together, then that's the perfect person to follow because it makes you feel good. But you just got to understand, keep doing your thing, uh, work hard, um, be grateful. That's what I am. Um, you know, like I said, every time I open up a seminar, thank you, Inferno Jim Puff. I appreciate you. I see you. I see you. I think uh, it's important to understand, like, you know, when I open up a seminar everywhere I go, like the ability for me to travel the world with my family and do something that I am passionate about and that I love and that I've had this passion and drive since I was a baby is a dream come true. It's an amazing experience. And there's still days I pinch myself where I'm like, this is nuts. You know, I'm going to London in a couple weeks with my family and then we're going to Paris. And then after that, we're going to travel a little bit in October around here and then we're going to Australia for two weeks with one of my idols and my mentors as a trainer. I'm living the dream, right? So whenever I open up a seminar, and for those of you who've been to my seminar, you've probably heard this kind of like mantra and speech before, is I look around and I say, first of all, thank you so much for, for coming. Second of all, my goal is to learn something more about dogs uh, in this seminar than, than you guys do because it helps me get better. I'm not the guy up here that knows everything. I'm not the guy up here that pretends like I know everything. Uh, I'm just a guy up here that has been following his dreams and has dedicated my life to dog behavior and helping dog owners through coaching and through content creation. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. You guys have all worked really hard for the money that it's costed to be here. I appreciate you. We're all on the same page. We're all working together. Uh, we're all one team. Let's help some dogs, you know, and that's the that's the opening speech that I that I typically talk about, you know, because I don't want anybody to get the wrong message 
because um, you know, I may, if I make a mistake, it gives me an opportunity to learn. I try not to make mistakes, but I'm going to make mistakes because I'm not perfect and I'm still learning and I'm always a student, and that's really important. So, you know, just have that. That's my mantra. Just keep your mental health. Like, you know, you gotta you gotta work at it. You gotta work, especially when you're on social media as a professional. You know, I know creators that have a team of people that go through every day and delete bad comments about nasty stuff they're saying about them. I mean, when you get that big, that I mean, I'm not that, but I'm just saying, like, it's just it, it is inevitable that you're going to get that. So don't worry about what other people think. Just listen to your heart, listen to your instinct, and just go slow. And, and don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't pick up a camera and be this person you're not. I've met so many people that are like, hey, guys, what's going on? Welcome back to my channel. And then after the camera, they're like, oh, my God, I hated that. And you talk to them, and they're like, you know, not that. And, and you know, one thing I would say about me, I hope anyway, is I'm the same person on camera that you'd see off camera. I'm not any different. So, you know, just be authentic because it's exhausting trying to be somebody you're not, especially when people are coming up and saying like, hey, man, you're my idol. You've inspired me. You've helped me all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then you meet that person and they're not that person. And you're like, this is weird. Why aren't you? It's, it's heartbreaking, you know. Um, one person actually in my Canadian seminar, if you guys go back and look at my Canadian seminar footage, he said in the, in the, uh, testimonial, he said, I'm going to go work with Tom Davis and his buddy's like, are you sure you want to do that? That's like your idol. Like that could be dangerous. You know, somebody that you look up to, uh, could, could ruin the perception of that person, you know? And they said, he's like, yeah, I want to. And then he called him and he's like, he really is that guy. And I'm not just trying to like pump myself up I'm just telling you like it could be scary going to meet somebody that you look up to so much because if they're not that person you kind of you know it, you feel duped so just be yourself be authentic um, protect your mental state um, people are going to talk shit about you no matter how good you are no matter how many lives are changing um, no matter how many millions of other people love you there's going to be people that are going to be like this is the worst and that's just inevitable so you're going to run into it so it sucks, but you just have to, you know, you have to do it. And, and you know, like, it, it, the other thing, too, is, like, it makes you want to give up a bit. It makes you want to stop. And, you know, there's people out there that are, that are just like that. So um, so anyway, let's get into uh, another question here. Good question, though. I appreciate you listening. Uh, da, 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 da. I lost my space here. Okay, here we go. Uh, the next one comes from Bagel the Pitbull. Five-star review, best podcast ever. I have a 55-pound neutered, three-and-a-half-year-old pit bull, Staffy Mix, who is task-trained, registered service dog. I adopted him at eight months, and he started training immediately. I identified some dog reactivity issues, specifically at dog parks, so we don't put him into those types of situations anymore. Over the course of our training together over the past few years, I've noticed he doesn't do well around younger children. Therefore, he is muzzle-conditioned when we travel to airports and other crowded areas. Um... He's been down and has growled at adults who walk past him and don't pay him attention. This is a new behavior. Both times I verbally corrected him and didn't escalate. He's very sensitive to my corrections. He's e-collar trained and he responds to the pager or vibration, but I've only used it when we are playing fetch and he doesn't drop the ball upon the initial verbal command. What do you suggest I do to discourage his unvulnerable behaviors of growling at people who walk past him, especially while he's working in the occasion where I should be should I be introducing the e-collar? I think I answered this last time, but 
Um, that's okay. I'm going to answer it again. You just have to be careful with a service dog um, that's working. You know, like if a dog is growling at somebody, uh, who knows why these things are happening? Who knows why, um, you know, maybe it's because growls are like so uh, it's such a, I mean, the dog is just saying that they're uncomfortable for sure, but why they're uncomfortable. Maybe the person is looking at them. Maybe the person is talking to them. Maybe the person smells like a certain person. Maybe the person looks like somebody. Maybe they think the person is threatening. Maybe they're tall. They have a beard. They have a hat. They have whatever. So it's hard to tell. But I think at the end of the day, um, you, you know, you got to be careful when you're correcting dogs growling because it's their only opportunity to really communicate that they're uncomfortable. And sometimes if you correct a dog for growling, then they just react and you never know it's coming, which isn't good. I don't think that's the case for you. Um, but what I would do is, um, be really mindful of like, <clears throat> how big of a deal does it become? Like somebody walks by your dog growls and if it never ends up being anything past that, you know, I think the verbal, the verbal correction that you're giving is fine. Like, Hey, leave it, knock it off. That's what I would be doing. Um, you know, and if the dog is muzzled, then obviously it's going to deter hopefully people coming up. So I think you're good there, but I, I would just, you know, I'd like some more information on exact situations, but my suggestion is to continue to do what you're doing. Um, I, I, I don't know if I would be correcting with the remote collar for the growling. Um, I would be definitely using a verbal and then maybe a leash pop with a slip or a uh, martingale just to say, hey, like snap out of it. That's inappropriate. Because if it is the dog maybe becoming protective of you, that's something you want to like nix really quickly and say, hey, that's that's not going to work here. Um, that's important, uh, for sure. So I would, I would definitely like recommend verbally correcting the dog, uh, and then enforcing it with a, with the physical correction. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't use the e-collar just yet because I think that'll be too much, especially with a pager, but it depends on what pager you have. It depends on what e-collar you have. So I just need a little bit more context on that. Um, anyway, Next one comes from Nacho Grande 88. Hey, Tom, I love the way you teach and do training. It's so helpful. Thank you for all you do. I have two dogs. My three-year-old Bernadoodle attacks my 11-year-old Terrier without warning over treats, chipmunks, without warning over treats, chipmunks in our yard or attention or affection. So it's not without warning. When I hear without warning, it means unprovoked and no triggers. There is triggers. You listed them immediately after. It's when we, it's resource guarding over food, it's resource guarding over chipmunks in the yard, and it's resource guarding over affection and attention from a handler. So it is, there is warnings there, right? I think you mean behavioral warnings on top of like, again, growling, showing teeth, uh, snarling, like maybe those warnings aren't there, but there is triggers that your dog is, is reacting to. And whenever you're working with a dog that has behavioral problems, especially aggression, the best thing for me to work with and for everyone else is to simply know when these things are going to happen or what's triggering these things. If you have a dog that is not consistently triggered by anything, that's when it becomes very dangerous and also very hard to work with because it's out of nowhere, out of the blue, and there's no accumulative reason why these things are happening. There's no triggers at all. It just happens. So you got to be careful about that. Um, so... <clears throat> It started when my Bernadoodle was a year and a half with some territorial issues in our house. That got resolved with behavior modification and lots of obedience training. Now we're at a point where I find myself hard to prevent these other triggers. My Bernadoodle has basic obedience down, but I still struggle with her full attention when there's distractions. So you're at level 
This is exactly what we were talking about, guys. We are at level one, obedience, and we're thinking about level three, obedience, right? So we're good with basic stuff, but we're not good with advanced obedience yet. That's what we're saying here, right? These are This is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so my... Yeah, my Bernadette has basic obedience, but I can't get her attention when there's distractions, right? So my two dogs get along otherwise fine. They don't play, but they're coexisting calmly. How do I work preventing these fights between them? Again, this is this is exactly and I and this is a great question. I'm going to answer it. I'm really happy. Um, K Millie, what's going on? Hope you're well. Um, so listen, this is exactly what we're talking about. Listen to this question at the end, okay? Um, how do I work on preventing these fights between them, right? How do I get my dogs to stop X, Y, Z, right? How do I stop this? So you kind of know the answer that's coming, but again, you said in your comment like, hey, I have level one obedience. I really struggle with advanced obedience. I really struggle when there's distractions. So what that tells me, tells you, tells us on live and on the podcast that my dog will listen in a non-distracted environment when it's beneficial or rewarding or motivating to them. The moment that anything else comes into the equation, that's where the dog takes their focus and all of their motivation and currency goes directly towards the other thing, the other dog, the squirrel, the chipmunk, whatever. So you know the triggers with affection. So the first thing is, is just making sure that you're very mindful of how much attention, how much affection you're giving these dogs when they have uh, a problem with each other being around when that affection is happening. So if you're over there rubbing and dubbing the, the doodle and then your terrier comes up, you're going to set these dogs up for failure. I'm not saying never give your dog affection and love, but what I'm saying is, is you have to make sure that you're mindful of like the attention that you're that you're that you're giving these dogs and 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 what that can do to set them up for failure. That's one. That's a trigger. You already know that the trigger, you already know that that's a problem. That's not good. So there's that. The other thing is just making sure that you know you you start to advance your obedience out. It's everything we've talked about in this podcast and in this live. Excuse me. Is making sure that you have that control. You have that ability to say, hey, um, Bernadoodle, go to your place and downstay because you're being a brat. You're being a jerk. You're being pushy. You're being aggressive. You're showing your teeth. You're barking, whatever. So those are those are important tasks. The other thing that – and this is something I, I haven't talked about, but it's very important or equally as important of everything that we've talked about. Having that more advanced off-leash control also – can naturally take away the dog's behaviors that you're having problems with in the first place. Your dog is resource guarding you for whatever reason we don't know, but let's just say your dog is resource guarding you. Your dog feels so your dog feels it's appropriate for them that if another dog comes into your environment that your dog can beat the other dog up. That's how your dog feels that that's appropriate and something that they can do. So it's two siblings fist fighting in front of mom and dad. What does that tell you about the relationship between mom and dad? Not good, right? That's not a good vibe. That's not good. So advancing your obedience will also help your dogs become 
even better together because you are the pinnacle. You are the nucleus. You are in control. And when I say control, I mean you're a good leader, right? Hey, delegation, you go over here, you go over there. That's important for you, right? So that's that. those are all the things that, like, you have to start working on is it's not so much about – I mean, it is, but like basically you're, you, you have to advocate for your terrier. If, you're, if your doodle is the antagonist and your doodle is the dog that's fighting and making shit happen and making bad mistakes and beating up your other dog, you're not, again, you're not going to be able to change. There's a chipmunk running, terrier goes, doodle goes. You're not going to be able to take away that natural instinct of chasing that squirrel or chasing that chipmunk and then they fight over it. You're not going to take that away. You have to look at the situation. Terrier goes. Doodle goes. Doodle here. Nope. We're not doing this because I know when you guys get to the fence or you get to the stump or you get to wherever the chipmunk went, you guys are going to fight about it, right? That's your job. You're not going to be able to take away that prey drive on the doodle and the terrier. But what you can do is doodle here, doodle down, stay, done. And you're thinking like, wow, but I don't have that. Exactly. So you have to make sure that you're going, okay, these are natural things that are happening. The prey drive outside chasing the squirrels and competing against that, that's not going to go away. That's obedience. You're inside. Your doodle's trying to get attention, maybe setting the, the other dog up for, for failure. Go to your place. Stay. You're, you're, you're being a jerk, right? You're being pushy. You're picking. You're going to start a fight. So your job as a parent, as a manager, as a leader, as a teacher, as a dog owner Go to your place instead. Yeah, you could correct it, sure, but it's not going to change. The, if your doodle is on you and you're correcting your dog for whaling the other dog, it could detonate, make things worse, and it's also not going to change the situation that you're in because the situation is, is the dog is physically on top of you. Go to your place and stay, right? And, and again, you're thinking like, well, I don't have that. That's what this podcast is about. That's what this live is about. These are the reasons and I'm telling you guys, and I and I love you guys dearly, and I'm and I do not want to sound like I'm like stop asking me the same stuff. All I'm saying is, nine times out of ten, any question that I get is going to be rolled through this same exact template or this same formula to get the same results. It doesn't matter if I'm in Australia, Japan, it doesn't matter if you paid me five bucks, a million dollars, or you're live here for free or listening to this podcast for free. It's the same thing. I don't have good enough obedience to control my dogs at all, but I'm having advanced problems. So you're having advanced problems with little to no obedience and you're never going to, yeah, you are, (laughs) you like, you are literally hearing the grass being cut. I'm glad that you heard that. And I know the podcast is probably picking it up even more, but yeah, what are you going to do? Anyway, um, okay, I'm going to answer a couple questions that are on live on Instagram if anybody has any. Um, I appreciate everyone listening and watching so far. We'll get a couple going again, guys. I'm going to be in Australia, and I'm going to be in the U.K., uh, I'm going to be in the UK uh, in a couple weeks, and I'm going to be in Australia in November, and I'm very excited. So make sure you guys get your tickets while you can. Um, let's see. J.G. Lant Grant. I don't know. Sorry. Tips for puppy biting. What What's worked? What has worked for my German Shepherds or my previous five G.O.D.s doesn't work with this guy. Any corrections you give or any other dog gives for biting makes him mad and he becomes more intense. He's 11 weeks. I would suggest um, 
lots of uh, deflecting. Like if you're correcting a dog and they're getting frustrated and they're getting intense and they're getting like more pissed basically and it's not working, the best thing to do is just limit the amount of times your dog can bite. Um, and I'd have to know like, because it could be, oh, 11 weeks. Okay, for some reason I was thinking 11 months. Okay, 11 weeks, that's still a very young dog. So at this point, um, a lot of outletting, like, hey, and I know that this is probably something you've already done, but like, hey, you have to play with this. We're not playing with our hands. We're not playing with our feet. Now my other neighbor, dude, my other neighbor is mowing his lawn. My other neighbor is mowing his lawn. I apologize if the audio is, um, I don't know, maybe it's wholesome, right? Maybe it's just a beautiful day here in the middle of the day and people are just out here like cruising mowing their lawns it's sunny it's kind of fall like it's kind of cool whatever <laughs> but you have to make sure that you're outletting this dog uh, to something that they can play with um to make sure that they understand and i would also be very curious what type of corrections you're giving um because some people will say i've told my dog no four times and it's not working Burnt, wrong that's not going to work so let me know in the comments like what corrections you've done so far because that'll help with the context. Next one is Lizzie Steele. Is there a way to build confidence around other dogs? Yeah, a lot of neutrality. So I call it soaking. So when you get a dog out and you're trying to build confidence around other dogs, the worst thing that you could do is get them into a dog park, get them to a place where there's going to be off-leash dogs because your dog is already like, hey, I don't know how to handle other dogs. I'm insecure about this. I'm fearful about this. I'm nervous about this. Um, it's scary, you know, and then you get to a situation where you have all these dogs running up and trying to meet your dog and it makes things worse. So the best thing to do is neutrality. So go out maybe into a busy area where there's not going to be off leash dogs for sure. Hopefully, um, you know, and work on a lot of like hand feeding. So if your dog eats two cups in, in the morning for kibble, then you would go out with your two cups in your treat pouch. Oh, by the way, the no bad dog treat pouch is back in stock. Uh, it sold out in a week last time, um, like 400 of them gone like that. I appreciate the love. I love that treat pouch. It has an interactive squeaker inside. They're back on stock right now. And we also have a Labor Day sale. I think it's 20% off all apparel t-shirts um hoodies crew necks i think it's a good sale check it out um but that's what you would do is you want to build confidence around other neutral dogs so you don't want to overwhelm your dog because your dog's already overwhelmed because that's what people do is they're like my dog's scared of dogs so let's go see other dogs and then they go to the dog park and it just spirals everything out of control so that's what i would do is um just get around uh, some other dogs that uh you know, are neutral, don't care about your dog. And that's the way to build confidence. Confidence is essentially like, I think something's, think about it like this, confidence in, in dogs and even in people is like, I think something bad's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And then it doesn't again, it doesn't again, it doesn't again, it doesn't again, it doesn't again. And that's how you build confidence, right? Somebody says, hey, I'll be there at 11. And they show up at 1145, 1115, 1130, 12, your confidence of that person saying, hey, I'll be here at 11, goes way down. The moment they start showing up, the time that they said is going to build confidence because they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm confident that you'll be here. So that's what you want to do is get your dog around other dogs that aren't going to make them insecure because you'll make it worse. Okay, Millie, stranger danger management, especially when guests come over. Uh, if you haven't been here the whole live, it's what we talked about in the beginning, but essentially having the place command and the stay. If you don't have an off-leash level three place and stay, you will not be successful at this. 
if your dog naturally, innately, primally, instinctually uh, is insecure and nervous about people coming over to the house for whatever reason, that's never going to go away. We're not going to take that out. Your job is to manage the situation to make sure that you have enough skills. So again, this question, the question we had before, this entire podcast is about the same stuff, guys. And the reason why I'm just like coaching you on it and I'm nagging you about it is because I'm telling you so many people struggle and if they put themselves through this formula, they will not struggle. They will understand what they need to do to be successful. My podcast is called the No Bad Dogs Podcast. What sports would you recommend for German Shepherd? It depends on the German Shepherd and their drive and their and their breed. There's a hundred different types of German Shepherds and what they want to do. German Shepherds is not one of those things like, hey, I got a German Shepherd, what should I do? What kind? Where's the genetics? Where do they come from? What do they like to do? You know, there's show lines, there's working lines, there's all sorts of different lines of shepherds. It's not a, that's why when everyone's like, oh, I'm going to get a German shepherd, I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, I'm going to get a boar. Okay. Like none of these breeds mean anything because there's so many different variants of them. You know, people are like, oh, I'm going to get a Malinois. I'm like, okay, I don't care. I'm going to get a Dutchie. I'm going to get a, you know, Terrier. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Like just because you have a Corso doesn't mean they're going to be mean, aggressive and protect you. You know, just because you have a shepherd doesn't mean they're going to be smart, you know. So you just have to, like, ask yourself, what does your dog like to do? And then that will dictate what sports you should do with your dog. Samuel Cruz, as a first-time dog owner, is a Doberman a good option? I'm devoted to spend time. Yeah, same same thing, man. It's like, sure, if you put in the work, you're good. It doesn't matter what dog you get, right? Some dogs are going to be a little bit challenging. Some dogs are going to be a little bit harder. I think at the end of the day, the only time you don't want to get a dog is when you don't have the resources to outlet the dog's natural ability to work. So let's say, hey, I'm going to get a blue healer or a border collie. What do you suggest? If you can't get out and work that dog on herding and prey drive and high levels of obedience and a lot of thinking, you're going to fail. But it's only because the what the dog wants to do, right? It's not because of anything else, right? You don't have enough resources. So if you live in Manhattan and you don't plan on going to the – outside of Manhattan every weekend to, to train on fast cat or on, you know, herding, then your dog's probably not going to be as happy as they could be. Um, Melissa, is there a video on how you taught your dog left? Uh, yes, it's way back. If you go to my YouTube channel, there's three little dots on the top that says popular, newest, and oldest. Click oldest, and you'll see how I taught Lakota left um, on that video. Audio is good. Great. What up, Dog Trainer Podcast? I'm glad that Sean doesn't hear any lawnmowers because both my neighbors are fired up right now. They probably got their New Balance Monarchs on, probably just dad life and just, you know, something I should probably be doing, but I got a guy. Uh, D Young 180. I do like mowing the lawn, though. I just always said, like, oh, I'm going to mow, mow my own lawn, and I do like it. I think it's very therapeutic. I love it, but the problem is, is I travel so much that I forget, and then my lawn looks like the Amazon, and I look like... My house is abandoned, so I've always had lawn people come and take care of that for me because what I want to do and what actually happens are two different things, unfortunately, because we've just been on the road so much. My son just hit, like, his 50-second flight. Um, my dog, uh, D. Young 180, my dog really has good obedience when I'm on the opposite end of the leash. He does not react to the prong collar but is good on the slip collar. Cool. What's the best certificate to pursue as an aspiring trainer depends on what you're doing tim um it again like there's 
every dog trainer trains differently. So you have obedience, you have tracking, you have sport work, you have service dog, you have therapy work, you have behavior modification, you have puppy, you have beginner, you have advanced, you have agility. I mean, I can go, you have herding, I can go on and on and on and on. Depends on what you want to do. It's like being a chef. What do you want to do? Go do that. That's it. It's not like, that's the thing Like you guys have to understand. It's not a one size fits all. So you're not, if you go out and get a cert, you, I can get a certification for a dog trainer by this weekend and be done. I can get that right now, right? But that doesn't change anything, right, at all. It's like I'm still who I am. I still know the knowledge I know. So, And I'm not saying certifications are bad. I do have a podcast with Michael Ellis where we talked about that, but it's really just about what you want to do. Get your certification and what background you want, right? Are you going to be a French cook? Are you going to be an American cook? Are you going to do Chinese food? Are you going to do Asian food? What are you going to do? It depends on what you want to do, what you want to specialize in, and that's what you should pursue. Um, uh, geez, no bad dogs, buying the treat pouch. I'm trying to, there's a lot of questions. I'm trying to sift through them. Um, John Vargo, what are the best resources on separation anxiety? Um, my podcast, to be honest. People who call in for my podcast or my clients. So basically, if you guys are unfamiliar with my podcast, if you guys watch my YouTube videos, my podcast is my online consulting with me recording our conversation and then putting them out. So it's 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 more beneficial sometimes to people because they can listen to most of them. Um see let me see just purchased the tree pouch good working line how do you help a fearful dog create uh, confidence with what i was saying before advice um our neighborhood walking he sometimes reacts when it comes to walking to the park going to public places no reaction any advice on reactivity in neighborhood walks um i would just say make sure that you know your leave it's good if your dog is randomly just barking because they don't know what else to do they're probably bored they probably don't have enough engagement with you. So I would be suggesting going out with a tug toy or maybe uh, food in your treat pouch to kind of get in some engagement. If you're, I'm just envisioning you walking with your dog and they're like barking at everything. They're just bored. So you got to create some engagement between you and your dog. Um, do you know how much Yakatulan Ica dogs? I <laughs> no. Um, number one trip to train a husky. It's a, a husky's a dog. So just start. There is no tr there is no tricks. Just start. Yeah, they're vocal. Yeah, they're stubborn. But all dogs are. Just start. My no bad dogs Kickstarter course is the best place to start. If anyone you know wants to know, like, hey, where would you start? That's the course. Um. Uh, John, I spent a lot of time training with my pup. He acts well with me, but terrible with my girlfriend. That's just because your girlfriend hasn't probably put enough time in as you did. So it's like, this is what it's like, John. It's like you go out and you practice hockey every day, right? And you're practicing everything with hockey. And then the girlfriend that you live with that watches you play, watches you practice, and you're like, all right, now you try. And she's like, and she sucks at it. Same thing. You go out, you train with your dog. Your girlfriend doesn't. Your dog's not going to listen to your girlfriend. That's how it goes. Um... I have uh, honey water. I have a dog who loves playing with dogs but has a hard time initial meeting other dogs, especially if dogs. Iffy dogs, maybe? What's the best way to go about this? 
Um, I think if your dog is friendly and is just a little weird with newer dogs, you have to manage the situations you're putting your dogs into. So if you're going to a dog park, you have no control over that. So you, you, And I don't know what you're doing, but you have no control over that. So if you go to a dog park and you're going to get all this, you can't control that. That's not going to help you. So what you can do is control the interactions and control the, uh, the situations that your dog is going to be in. So that way you know what you can and can't do. That's the important part. Um, if it's dogs that you know, friends, family, neighbors, partners, whatever, you can um, meet them. Th- the best way to do is like meeting them through a fence, meeting them through a gate. Because if your dog's kind of like nervous and insecure and it just takes some time to warm up, if they meet through a fence or a gate, that keeps your dog safe and happy. That's what I would do. Um, oh, if the dog's big. Yeah, so maybe big dogs. It's the same thing. Like if you have a bigger – and again, like it's just context of like what 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 what's going on. Like are you meeting at dog parks? Are you meeting randomly on the beach? Are you meeting out on walks? Like you just have to make sure that you're advocating for your dog. Like, hey, my dog, you know, like nope. Um, but again, like if you can control your dog on a leash, you just avoid off-leash dogs. That's the best thing to do. How to drive from Saratoga to Syracuse to hang out with duck dogs. It's actually funny, Bob. Um, I was in – when I was in Aspen, Colorado – I went into this store in my hotel, Hotel Jerome, and the guy does hunting upland um, upland uh, birds and also fly fishing tours. And I just asked him what he collars he got. We got into it, and uh, he listened to our podcast, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah," you know. So he follows you. That's pretty funny. Um, so that's cool. Um, okay. Have you used the Dr. Q yet? No, I haven't. My staff really likes it. Watching from Brisbane, Australia. Oh, what up? It's late there. I hope you're coming to my seminar that we're coming uh, in November. Um, Anyway, all right, you guys. I'm going to head out. Uh, You guys can listen to this podcast back on my No Bad Dogs podcast. Thank you for hanging out with me live. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. Have fun. Uh, Maybe I'll do these lives again. Check out my new post I just did. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Um... And thank you guys for listening to the podcast, as always. We'll talk to you next week. We'll get on a regular schedule again. I appreciate you guys. Love you. Have a good weekend. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.